Yeah, but on <clears throat> on to our last segment. I have two stories here. They're sort of small by themselves, but they come together and they paint a, a picture. I had a picture that I'll sort of try to paint as I go along. So we have the Norway, the Norwegian Parliament moving forward with deep sea mining operations. Now, for a second, I thought they were. I thought they were about to start, uh, I, you know, dropping those explosive mines, like the naval mines. <clears throat> That's what I thought at first. I'm like, ain't no way. Was bombing Nord Stream not enough for you? But no, 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 no. This, this is the, the good kind of mining. Uh, you know, they're talking about resource extraction. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, no, you have, you have my attention. Because <clears throat> to my knowledge deep sea mining it wasn't really a thing <clears throat> it is technically possible it's just not really done very much so and the article said as much uh but yeah norwegian no norway norway has approved the exploration and exploitation of resource deposits sitting at the bottom of the uh, the Barents Sea and the Greenland Sea. There we go. So the Barents Sea and the Greenland Sea. This is the their. I would say they're their west coast, but they don't. They don't really have an east coast, but you know, out there in like the North Sea, going stretching up to Greenland, obviously. So very large area. Uh, they've opened this up to exploration now. I'll just. I'll just cut to the J. They've opened this up to exploration. <laughs> 281,000 square kilometers. That's sort of the, the area we're talking about here. Very big area. Now, they're specifically looking to open up mining operations for uh, mineral deposits. Not like, not like energy resources. They, these are for minerals. And with an operation like this, and, and the focus is uh, primarily on rare earths as well, I should add. With an operation like this, and an under undertaking like this, I can only see the Japanese following as well, because it, it was uh, a couple years ago they found that massive rare earth deposit off of their coastline, like to the northeast of their country. I believe it was lithium, but I'm not entirely sure. They found that massive rare earth deposit. The practice is, if Norway leads the charge on this, <clears throat> and if they go forward with uh, resource extraction uh, projects out here in the in the sea, which would be a very excellent way of getting around environmental activism, they because they they can't just sit <laughs> they they can't sit in the middle of the ocean and stop you from drilling, so. It, it might also be a way of getting around the domestic issue of people who have subscribed to an ideology that is hostile to economic development and hostile to making their own lives better. Which is the great paradox, one of the great paradoxes of the green ideology. But by opening up operations in water, mining operations in water, the practices that they use in the process of doing this, because they're gonna they're gonna try to do it at scale. These practices are gonna be put in place 
in many other places around the world. Turkey's probably going to have eyes on this because there's there's more than just energy deposits in the in the eastern Mediterranean. There's mineral deposits as well. They're going to have their eyes on this. Japan's obviously going to have their eyes on this. China's going to have their eyes on this with their, their artificial islands in the South China Sea. They're going to start tapping because there's a lot of rare earth and energy under the South China Sea as well. Well, I know there's minerals. I I sort of sort of take back the rare earth statements about the South China Sea. I know there are mineral deposits underneath the sea. It is more known for its energy deposits, though, and for the trade going through it. But the Chinese are going to be looking at this. Japan's going to be looking at this. Turkey's going to be looking at this. If we're smart, we're going to be looking at this as well. The British, if they're smart, are going to be looking at this as well. Russia's definitely going to be looking at this as well because they have plenty of places, offshores, uh, particularly around what will become their new Black Sea coastline when they finish off Ukraine, that they can do these types of operations in. And in the Arctic as well, where there's lots of untapped mineral potential. And this is sort of a sort of a, a hallmark moment, a watershed moment in the development of the resource extraction game as human civilization progresses. There are certain technologies and certain practices that are adopted that just sort of change the game in a visible way. This is going to be one of those. Right. And it alludes to another point that I made when I, uh, various, because uh, I can't refer you to this specific episode, but every now and then I'll go on a rant about how people talk about the carrying, po- carrying capacity of the earth and how we're just nowhere close to that. Case in point, the oceans, 70% of the earth's surface, untouched by human habitation. We're nowhere, we're nowhere close to the carrying capacity of the earth. We're, the carrying capacity of our technology is what we can reach. We're not even close to the carrying capacity of the earth. Like, we're just now talking about real uh, attempts to mine mineral deposits under the water. Deposits that are going to be equal to or larger than deposits you're going to get on ground, on solid ground. Which means that it's going to take even longer to exhaust these deposits. Like... And, of course, starting out, it's going to be very inefficient. But as you go, you get better and better at it until you get really good and really efficient at extracting resources. We're only just now talking about extracting resources from the oceans. We haven't even begun conversations about building cities into the water. We're still talking about how we're going to keep the water out of the cities, which is still going to be a a thing even when you have cities on the waters because a city... In the water is built for that. A city on land is built to be a city on land. There's, there are differences, but we're not. We're, we haven't even begun conversations on uh, hydro uh, habitation, habitation on the waves. We haven't even begun to tap the potential of uh, aquaculture, where you're farming in the water. We're, we're not even. T- and there was that one story I saw where the the Arabs had developed, uh, or they had nurtured a plant whose seeds, when you crush it down into an oil, it's, it's jet fuel. They're growing jet fuel. And I'm pretty sure that was an aquaculture 
like a, like a special type of kelp that they were using to do that. And it's like, we're not even close to tapping the potential of the, it's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll leave with this point, this moment right here, where we're now be getting into serious discussions about mineral and resource extraction of deposits beneath the waves marks a, a very important moment in human history where we will now, only just now, mind you, start to tap into the potential of the oceans. So that's going to open up a whole, a whole host of border disputes, international conflicts are going to pop up over, the, over this and over the resources. It's a new era that we are now sort of slipping, uh, I, I hate to say slipping and sliding into because it's very deliberate. It's a new era that we are now phasing into. And things are gonna look very differently on the other side of this. Uh, as we enter into the, this new wave of industrialization, we may see cities on the waves or at least preliminary, like coastal habitations that are built on the water and underwater we may see that by the end of this uh, by the end of the century these hundred these next hundred years are going to see great change not quite on the scale as what we saw during like the 1900s uh, i mean the 1800s i should say but perhaps greater than the scale of what we saw during the 1900s uh, and i'll say that much we're going into a transformational time in human history and this is the watershed moment that people will look back to uh, if, again, if no way actually falls through with this. But if this is, is going to be a moment looked back to as the moment when we took that leap, so to speak. So I thought that this was, uh, beyond being just a peculiar story, I thought it had some uh, significance in the grand scheme of uh, human history as we move forward into the future of human history. But there was another story that I saw, because I, I was looking at this and thinking, okay, well, how can we, how can we use this? How can we benefit from this? Uh, well, if they're if they're doing all this mining and extracting of rare earths, well, it's going to benefit he who has the rare earth refining capacity, right? Well, maybe we should build that, and and it got me thinking about that massive lithium deposit we have in the United States and how we can use trade to build up like demand for our refining capacity as we also use trade through exports to build up demand for the lithium that we have in the Rockies. And then you can combine the two to create a domestic refining industry. So now you start to create real self-sufficiency of U.S. industry where to where exports and imports of other goods become secondary to the, the usage, extraction, and exploitation, and refining of those resources inside the United States. That's what I was thinking, and then I and I'm still thinking about that and how we can make that a possibility. But then I saw this story that sort of encapsulated everything that I was thinking about for the United States. But it was China. It was China, and here we have China reaping the rewards of industry. Because in this other story, it was talking about how a battery manufacturer called INB New Material Technology. Uh, that's sort of the name of them. Uh, they they are going to be investing 
6.4 billion uh, uh, in renminbi, the, the Chinese currency, 6.4 billion. Uh, actually, let me, let me look up how much that is. Um, let me look up how much that is. Because uh, I do not know off the top of my head even like a, a rough estimation of what the exchange rate is for renminbi, renminbi, little, <laughs> renminbi, $2. Okay. So it's uh, one renminbi is equal to 14 US dollars. Uh, not 14, 14 cents. Oh my goodness. Okay, so that's the exchange rate here. So, mm -mm, so we'll take uh, 6.4 billion. 6.4 billion times that by 0. 0.14. Okay, so about almost 900 million dollars so almost a billion you know the, the number i had in my head well is it a billion is it a billion? It, it's a little less than about 100 million less than a billion it's a 894 not 896 million us dollars so still a very big investment and it's not into some tech firm it's not into some startup tech company into an app they're gonna make an app it's this is industry, a billion dollar investment into a real factory that's going to produce a real good that's going to be used for real products that you can touch, that you can feel. So these guys are investing a billion dollars into uh, a, a, a manufacturing plant in Penang, which is sort of the, the first manufacturing plant that they've made in the city of Penang, which is China. Uh, and this is uh in the south along the Pearl River. So, yeah, in in the Shenzhen area where they've sort of had all these industrial cities sort of integrate into one another to create a, a super center, a Silicon Valley, except it's uh, well, China, <laughs> so to speak. But yeah, I saw this, and I'm like, wow, the Chinese instead of talking about doing this and doing that instead of talking about how we we need to invest in renewables and and electric and, and all this they have the industry to where it private private business can just make a billion dollar investment into industrial plant and now they're going to be churning out batteries in this new city, in this city that they haven't been uh, producing batteries in before. And the result of this is that they just increased their capacity for building ba batteries. And we're talking like big industrial batteries, like car batteries, what have you, for electric vehicles. They just, uh, uh, they just decided they're going to do this. Uh, I'm simplifying it, obviously. It's a corporation. So there's a lot more deliberation that goes into this. But you compare that to the bureaucracy <laughs> that we get and the, the tongue bath that we get when we talk about this, like uh, we, we made a big deal out of, uh, you know, those those uh, chip plants that were being built in Ohio. And it is a big deal for us. All right. Well, like we're, we're very far behind where we should be. 
but it's just a very interesting parallel to look at where are we're so deindustrialized that anything <laughs> is a good is good for us and it takes more money to do mind you because that was a, a, a lot of money that went into that that's supposed to be going into that uh plant in ohio and i'll see if i can pull up the story now ohio uh chip plant New Jim Blanton, Ohio. Uh, yeah, Intel. Right, right. The the, the plan that Intel is building. Now let's see. I'm a attempt to yeah, twenty billion dollar project. Twenty billion dollar project is what Intel invested into building these uh, chip fabricator plants in Ohio. $20 million to build that compared to not even a billion by this battery plant uh, to produce, to start manufacturing batteries. And, and this is China. So it's not like, oh, we're going to be manufacturing five a day. No. Oh, we're, we're going to be getting like 15 a week, 25 a month. No, it, this is China, right? Where, where there's real industry. So you're, you're talking hundreds, thousands. It's just going to be ma real mass production, real economy of scale, real, you know, driving down of the cost of goods through mass production. That's, that's also a very interesting uh, sort of difference to look at the cost structure, because part of the cost is not just the fact that we're building chip fabricator plants, uh, and but it's also that Intel has basically has to build the infrastructure up for this industry uh, from scratch because we, we don't have it anymore. We don't have it anymore. But the Chinese have such an abundance of that industrial infrastructure that the costs are lower because of the economy of scale. You can set up an industry, you can set up an industrial plant anywhere in China because there's the logistics to support it anywhere in China. It's it's the the end result of the the positive feedback loop of industry and china today is in in many ways uh, a sort of image of what the united states was in like the late 1800s and the first half of the 1900s where we just had that vast abundance of industrial capacity where you could set up a factory anywhere and you, you could be profitable because you have the 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 industrial infrastructure to to do it anywhere in the united states and i do believe that in time we will get back to that but for the time being we can look to china as an example uh, as sort of a, a, a stand-in for what the united states is going to be when we get there but yeah i, I went on a small rant a, a couple seconds ago on how the chinese invest a billion into real physical products that, that's what their billionaires are up to, right? Their billionaires aren't up to, oh, let's kill off a half the population. Oh, let's force everybody to take a vaccine. Let's let's try to get everyone to wear a mask and stay in their homes so they can die. Oh, let's let's deindustrialize so we can go back to pre-industrial levels of of human population and, and human habitation on the earth. Let's just kill everybody. It's there's such a difference in philosophy between the, the 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 chinese elite so to speak and the american elite which 
is not necessarily me saying, oh, the Chinese, they're, they're just so great. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's just look at how much the, the, the kinds of people with power and influence in our country hold us back. Because what China has today is what the United States is supposed to be having. Not that, oh, the Chinese stole it from us and we can steal it back from them. And it's not a zero-sum game like that. It's more so we could be China and China can be China and we can both just be industrial titans uh, making everyone jealous of us. <laughs> That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. But it's not because we have these people in charge of our country controlling the capital in our country and their agenda is not on the industrialization of the United States. Their sites are not set on making the lives of Americans better. Their eyes are on the prize of depopulation. And it shows. They use their money to buy up all the farmland. And buy up all the houses, the single family homes. So they can build up their real estate portfolios screwing over the average person because now you can't buy a home it the billionaires in america get in the way of the average person in america like the wealth disparity wouldn't be so bad if the wealth was being put towards the betterment of the country through industry but it's not it's being put towards building up portfolios and revenue streams except the revenue streams are not from you producing a product, but from the production of services, services and apps and stock portfolios and investments, investments into paper assets rather than physical assets. And the paper assets only benefit you and the person who owns those assets. Who, who, you know, the you and the person who sells you the asset, you're the, you and, and the broker of said asset. That's the only people, them and the banks, of course, those are the only parties involved who benefit from paper, the owning of paper assets. Regular people don't benefit from a billionaire having a billion dollar stock portfolio. They don't benefit from that. The stock price of Amazon does not benefit regular people. It benefits Bezos. And in that regard, Elon Musk is only uh, is a little bit different because his wealth comes from the physical production of electric cars and electric batteries and uh, SpaceX. So he is closer to an industrialist than, say, Bezos would be. And certain both of them do a a bigger service to the regular person in America than Bill Gates does. Like, granted, look, I love my Xbox. Okay, I, I love my Xbox. Wouldn't be here without uh, Microsoft. But Microsoft does not make like physical products that the regular person is consuming. Uh, Microsoft is largely uh, a paper asset thing. That's where their wealth is. In the paper asset from the stock price. Everything is about stock prices. Not about what are we producing? How much are we producing? How much are people consuming? Right? It's the difference of the types of economies. We have the physical economy and an economy that runs on paper. The economy that runs on paper 
gets you wealth disparity that builds on to itself in a way that disproportionately benefits people who are already at the top and screws over the people at the bottom. Whereas the physical economy, people succeed and get to the top by providing a real physical good that people can buy. That's how you get wealthy. And that's the way it should be, right? What, I, what we have here is the di- is uh, sort of a, the difference of the economies and uh, that difference is the reason why the Chinese economy can function so seamlessly in integrating new technologies and in exploiting every new you know ex- every new exploitation of every new resource that we find because all of it has to go to China why because they already have the refining capacity all of it has to go to China. Why? Because the Chinese are the ones who can take the refined product, the refined mineral, and turn it into a finished good. China has all the factories. You're not going to send it to China to get it refined and then bring it back and hope and pray that you can manufacture it into something. You're not going to do that. The Chinese economy is built for to turn physical uh, resources into real goods. It's not just a purely service-oriented thing. The U.S. economy has veered away from that, and we suffer the consequences of it now. Now, in time, in time, with Trump and the right Republicans, (laughs) I see us, as we move into this era shift in the United States, we are going to be shifting back towards a physical economy, back towards a gold standard, back towards protectionism, back towards economic policy that makes sense for America to have, and in the process, back towards rebuilding the manufacturing of the United States by reorienting the United States away from a paper, asset-driven economy towards a physical, product-driven economy. And in that economy, the regular person benefits from the rise of the of every billionaire because you have to buy his product for him to get rich you have to buy something that you can actually use in your life for the billionaire to become a billionaire and that's how you solve the wealth gap because you can take that product and you can do whatever you want with it you could sell it on ebay and make a buck you can you can use it it's not a, a, a asset on a screen that's you know out of your reach no you get to be in on the economy you get to benefit directly from the rise of every billionaire. It's just a better way of having your economy function, but it's it, it, that's how a, a sound economy works. But obviously, that's not very conducive towards money laundering and and imperialism. But of course, MAGA is the antithesis of those things. But uh, I I just this is sort of a me going off on a, a tangent about you know, resource extraction and how to use the resource extraction in your country. And, you know, we can be there and we will be there eventually. I I just thought that this was a really good opportunity to sort of uh, elaborate on why we will struggle to take advantage of things like this. And even of that massive lithium deposit in our own country, why we will struggle to do basic things like produce batteries and chips 
and the Chinese won't. They they've built up sort of the the momentum of industry to where they don't have to worry about that. And we've allowed our industry to decay to such an extent that it takes a national effort just to get a handful of chip fab fabricators, just to get a handful of new factories here and there, right? So the reindustrialization is going to be a, a bit of a, a rough process, but when you have the right kind of an economy, an economy based on physical goods that you can, that really helps industry because then the industry is focused on production and not stock prices, right? And when the industry is focused on production, then you can get real goods and you can push down the cost of those goods through mass production. And then you, you do this, repeat this process over enough goods, over enough raw materials, or over enough services, and you get the economy of scale that brings the costs down everywhere. And in the process of the abundance of everything and everything cheap, you get higher standards of living. China, it's not their economy you wanna, it's not that we have to become socialists, it's that we need a, an economy centered on physical production. And I thought that this was a very good opportunity to sort of lay that out uh, as a vision of what we can and will be. But that, my lovely listeners, is all I've got for you today. I do hope you've uh, enjoyed today's broadcast on my geopolitical podcast. I thank you for bearing with me as I'm uh, I'm so congested and I have a stuffed nose and uh, I probably sound disgusting. But look, I thank you for sticking with me. But we've reached the end of the show. So I thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been your host, Hashan Wade, and you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. The world is changing, folks, and we will have fun watching it together. So till we meet again next Monday, servus. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.